Eric, you're supposed to say hey. Oh, hey. What's up, hey. everybody? Yeah, no, you guys, welcome to the 13th Floor Podcast. And this is this is kind of like a mashup. This is a 13th Floor Podcast, Monsters versus Men mashup. Yeah. So we're, we're offering the best of both worlds today. And we are joined by the always fantastic Alex. You always give him a nickname. Do you want to give him a nickname? Ooh. The jittering duck head itself. Oh, boy. <laughs> Eric. <laughs> Eric. Well, I'll, I'll take that. Um, yeah, thank you, Alex. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, I've been waiting for this invite for a couple of years now, and, and I finally got it. <laughs> now, I'm not here to do any favors. I'm really just here to promote my own podcast, uh, Monsters vs. Men. Yes. So just just keep that in mind right now. That's the only reason I'm here. Yes. I, I hear you. Th- I, I hear that your co-host carries the weight of that podcast. What do you think about that? Well, <laughs> I think we all know who wears the pants on that podcast, Alex. <laughs> I agree. Okay. I agree. What? <laughs> Sorry, babe. But but yeah, no. Um, you guys, we are joined by the always awesome Eric here. Uh, James is going to be away for one more week. So he'll he'll be back soon, you guys. And if you're a Monsters versus Men listener, and this is your first time listening to 13th Floor, we have another host that normally joins us named James, and he is fabulous. But he'll be back next week. So this week we've kind of it's it's a very non traditional episode of 13th Floor, a very kind of traditional episode of Monsters versus Men. Mm. Again, we try to take the best of both worlds and mash them together. So. Mm. Normally on Monsters vs. Men, you guys watch a a monster themed movie. Well, what is yeah. what is the this week what episode came out? This week, so this is actually coming out No, it comes yeah, out. Yeah, this actually comes yeah. out this week. So this week we watched Frank, Frankenstein son. <laughs> Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Now it's gonna come out two weeks later for mm-hmm. free feeds, but mm-hmm. for somehow we got two weeks ahead instead of one week ahead for our patrons and well we're generous. What can we say? <laughs> and <laughs> and so, yeah, we just watched that. Now, me and Eric haven't recorded that episode yet, but I'll go ahead and give Eric a little hint on the podcast. Mm. Mm. A little nice surprise that movie was. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was wow. fun. It was fun. That's, that's <laughs> exciting. Well, I uh, was was fast asleep while Alex was watching this movie, and I woke up at one point, and I was just like, is that Frankenstein? And then I rolled over and went back to sleep. So... Mm. That's the only comment that I have. Now, when you say Frankenstein, did you mean Frankenstein's monster? What it was Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> Alex, always you always get on me about that. It's just fun because literally nobody gets it right. Yeah, and so it's just like you know, I get it's my little my nose tilted up at the sky moment. Eric, I can just be a little snooty. Well, that's usually what? me, Alex, and and now it's you. But in every episode of our podcast, we both get it wrong. Throughout, anytime oh, we have a Frankenstein episode, we always refer to the monster as Frankenstein. Okay, and, that makes and then al- and then also give like three corrections to ourselves. We're like, oh no, no, sorry, the monster, not Frankenstein. Yeah, okay. I know you all do research over on this podcast, but yes. monsters versus men, we make it a rule not to research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I feel like your episodes are a lot more fun when you don't research. Well, all of our episodes are fun because I don't remember research. Yeah, but I feel like at at the very (laughs) beginning when you guys were doing your Godzilla series, at least you, Alex, you would would look up some stuff. Yeah, we did it for like the first one or two episodes. 
Yeah. Uh, and then I think we both realized that it's kind of like slowed the pace of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it just, it, we didn't even talk about it. It just went away. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's true. <laughs> that's true. It made life easier for you, at least, Alex. I, I can't speak for yeah, you, I Eric. can't read good. But <laughs> <laughs> no, it, because uh, doing research for 13th floor can be very time consuming mm-hmm. and daunting, depending upon the specific topic at hand, mm. which I think that a lot of people don't realize. Because, like, the only one of us that can go into a topic without having done any research is James, because James is like a walking encyclopedia. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, Alex and I usually put in a good four, at least me, I put in a good four hours. I don't put of that research. much in. I don't put that much in. Every week. <laughs> but I, I put in a couple hours, um, but I don't put in four. Um, I, I say, it's I, hard to me imagine you putting in four hours of research, Alex. No, that's no. not happening. That's not happening. <laughs> um, but I do, I, I mean, it, it, it can happen with topics where i get really frustrated and cc probably hears me cursing to myself oh, when yes. i get when I, I i get like so deep into a topic and then i find out like it's complete bs or mm. even worse because it's like not it's not fulfilling mm. is i find out there's way 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 more to it and, and there's yeah. just not enough time you just scratch the surface <laughs> that's, was, yeah. i would say that's usually when you get most frustrated because mm-hmm. usually you can find out if something is bs yeah. very early on because alex is our resident skeptic so he doesn't believe hardly anything until he starts like digging into it and he's like oh maybe there is some merit here but yeah no alex he does he gets very frustrated which I don't, I don't see. I think that I only have seen it a couple of times when he's watching your monster movies. Mm. There, there have been some where he's just like, "When is this gonna be over?" Psycho Gorman. Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> I don't even want to uh, comment on Psycho Gorman, but <laughs> sorry, I, I tried, I tried with that movie. But anyways, yeah, I'm sorry, Eric. I know no, that we, we have okay. different opinions there, okay. but. Yeah, to this week. Okay, so so really, we're six minutes in. Really, <laughs> the thing that we're doing on this episode of the Thirteenth Floor is instead of doing like a monster movie, we've done a conspiracy documentary. Mm, yeah, and we're gonna kind of break it down. And we chose the documentary Cowspiracy. Yeah, we 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 gave Eric three options, uh-huh. and he picked Cowspiracy, and now we all resent him. Well. <laughs> It was the shortest, so. It was the shortest. I, I, I think I may have said to CCS, I think he picked this one because it was the shortest. Well, Honestly, it I also had the highest review, though, to be it fair. It did have the highest review. It was the shortest. And I, I find this a pretty interesting topic. Uh, yeah. I, I really do. Like, I, I think we have a lot to talk about in this episode. There's a whole bunch to get into, so I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, I think that it's it, it was definitely an eye-opening documentary, Mm-hmm. Not necessarily uh, due to the topic at hand, but yeah. it took me back to my days in college when Alex and I took a documentary filmmaking class. Mm-hmm. And I was just remembering all of these techniques that I learned in that class. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. Yeah. There's, Rough. there's so much going on yeah. here. Because we, yep. we, we, we've seen documentaries since. I mean, that was a long time ago. Yeah. But we've seen documentaries since where you're not like constantly thinking about how they manipulated everything in the documentary. Like, We'll talk about, we'll talk, we'll go into this a little bit more, I think, during the episode. But yeah. before we go into it, Alex, wasn't your documentary about the foot stabber? Yes. <laughs> yes. There's All a conspiracy. Right. So, There's a conspiracy for you right so there. Definitely. At UK, for the listeners, while we were there, 
there was someone who in the library took a pencil and stabbed it into somebody's foot. So the yeah. desk, like you have to know, like the desks are pretty isolated. You can get in these desks, right? Yeah. And so you could kind of just like stick your hand underneath the desk. No one would see you. They're like cubicles that no one can yes. see each other. So you could stick your hand under the cubicle desk area and just start stabbing someone's foot or just stab someone's foot and walk away, run away. No one would ever know. Yes. And this person apparently stabbed him real good with a pencil (laughs) and ran ran off and like no one knew who did it. And I made a documentary on it full of reenactments and all kinds of stuff. Like I even had my friend Drew or who does our Instagram for Mm -hmm, NBM mm -hmm. with his bloody foot on it. And it was just, it was it's amazing. I feel like he played the foot stabber though. Like I feel like I remember him filming something. You standing him standing behind a tree watching. Well, somebody. knowing knowing Alex, yeah. knowing Alex, Drew was probably the foot stabber and the stabby. <laughs> yeah, he was. He actually, he actually, That's, yes, he yeah, was. You're probably right. No, he you're actually was. Right. Yes. Yeah. He was every character. It's a it's a meta cam- it's a meta commentary on how we self sabotage. <laughs> <laughs> Good lord. No, my documentary was about skinny jeans because skinny jeans were all the rage. Oh, man. Yeah. I was very proud of that documentary, though. Like, I had interviews with medical doctors about how it can cut off circulation in your legs. (laughs) I had interviews with fashion uh, people who knew all about fashion. I had interviews with people who loved wearing skinny jeans. And then I also tormented my brother, Anthony, and I made him spend a day walking around UK in skinny jeans to report back to me. And tell me what he thought. And he hated me after that. So, yeah, that was yeah. fun times, man. That's I forgot amazing. about that. Those were good. But anyways, Alex, well, Eric, you yeah. said that you had some icebreakers for us. Well, I did. Uh, I do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I had a couple. But I think I, I want to ask a question to both of you all. As okay. podcast hosts who are also married to each other. Oh, what is it like to do a podcast with your significant other? Do you ever get frustrated at each other due to the podcast? Oh, Eric. Oh, interesting. Oh, Eric. Oh, okay. This is a this is a reveal all episode. You all didn't <laughs> yeah, know no, this. No. I, I'm turning yeah. I'm turning the tables and conducting the interview. Yes, no. I, I that's a great question. I think that it is fun to do a podcast with Alex. Whom I love dearly. Okay. I feel like you're bracing me for something. But. Well, (laughs) sometimes I just get frustrated when he, because he's the skeptic. So Mm. it's like, if I, if I do believe in something, he will kind of be like, oh, you're ridiculous. He never says it that that. way. No, no, he doesn't say it. But this is the thing. And Eric, I'm sure you've seen this before. Mm. When Alex, (laughs) when Alex doesn't believe something, he'll roll his eyes. And he's very unconscious about it. Like, he doesn't even realize he's rolling his eyes. And that's one of my <laughs> biggest marital pet peeves is that he'll roll his eyes. Like, I can tell when he's frustrated with me. And Alex so, is rolling his eyes right now, I think. <laughs> yes. My eyes are always rolling. <laughs> yes, they're always rolling. So, yeah, I think that that's probably the one thing. We, we don't really, like, I, I don't know. Alex, what is it like doing a podcast with me? Uh, it's great. It's the best. No, the only, honestly, the only issue really comes up uh, after the episode when she has to edit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then it's just lots of complaining. And, you know, you hear it every week. Yeah. Now I just block it out. So most of the time when CC talks, I'm kind of like, you know, planning something new. 
for the for MVM or something like that. Yeah, no, I I, th- I do. I complain about editing because it's just it's a very time consuming thing. Like I have to do a lot of research, and then on top of it, I also edit. And, and you're very thorough with your edits. Like you, I'm a you cut out. I, I leave. So I used to be a really perfectionist. It is professionistic, a fake word for you all today. And um, with MVM, hmm. and I used to cut out every single gap, every single little thing, every, every single um, and any stutters. I still cut out a lot of the stutters. Um, and I, t- I like that um I just had. Yeah. I would have cut that out probably. But sometimes I leave it in. And now I do a much more hands-off approach. I leave some of the gaps because – I realized when I was listening to it, like, we talk really fast. And I was like, maybe it's better with some of the pacing, because some of the spacing, because it just makes everything flow more naturally. And I think people will like that. Yeah. uh, I I started having a more hands-off approach, but uh, background noise still gets isolated. Well, I think that you and Eric have a very good rhythm when it comes to your podcast because it's because we do rhymes at the end yeah that's probably that's that's probably it so all, it's all your mo- uh, most eloquent uh, part of our show is are the rhymes at the end mm-hmm. it's my favorite it's my favorite especially seeing watching alex in real time fumble uh every time he records because i'm usually mm-hmm. sitting right next to him and he'll like pause and you know it's really fun to, to watch you the only other thing about the podcast that it's like cc like Oh, mine's going to be short, making me think like you know she didn't do much for the episode, uh-huh. and then she starts scrolling down her notes, and it's like three pages and worth I've, of writings, and I'm like, I've oh my it. gosh, Cece, she was every time. Oh, it just ended up longer than I expected. I thought I, was, I didn't think it was very much. Four it's like all right, show off. <laughs> Anyways, no, I think we need to ask Eric an icebreaker. Oh. I think we do. Yeah, and mm. you know what? This is something that Alex and I have answered, considering the topic that we are talking don't, about today. Don't ask him the losing your finger question. We already did that. On yeah, ours. we're not gonna, we're not going to ask the losing <laughs> the finger question. No, I want to know best vegetable and worst vegetable. Go. Mm. 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 Best vegetable, probably grilled corn on the cob. Oh, oh. that's wow. pretty. That's like uh, a life yeah. hack right there. Heavy yeah, hitter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has to be very specific, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, oh, man, maybe I'm just craving that right now. But that's that's great. Uh, that sounds so good. good. Let's see, worst Ooh. vegetable. Yeah. Say it. So, uh, Say it. I don't like. Well, I don't like mushy tomatoes. Mushy so, tomatoes. Yeah, I, I, tomatoes are okay. You know, like when they're crisp and and fresh. I like. I like. I like, I like this. Chunks podcast host more than james because he just said he didn't he thought tomatoes were okay it was as close to awful as i think you and me would like because james is a super tomato fan yes he oh is. man and well, it's kind of shameful <laughs> i don't mind them i i like pretty much every vegetable but mushy vegetable chunks in just about anything i i have to push to the side like, well no. that's what james oh, would okay. refer to as a water balloon yeah. Oh, a water balloon tomato. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. James likes the the like real meaty tomatoes, mm. but you like <laughs> Brussels sprouts. I do. Yeah. Oh my gosh, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Eric, right. I'm questioning. I mean, you have to cook them right. Now. You have to cook them right, and I think lots of times Brussels sprouts are undercooked. So, um, if you get the right Brussels sprouts, they can be great, but. Yeah, yeah, you can have some pretty bad Brussels sprouts, no doubt. Okay. 
See, I just remember growing up, my mom would try to make Brussels sprouts and the entire house would smell like farts for days. (laughs) And I'm like, "Mm, no. And that's what, I mean, that's what James said was your mom was cooking them wrong, which Mm. I I don't doubt. So so you're telling me that your wonderful wife, Neely, knows how to properly cook Brussels sprouts. Not saying that, no. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, She's great, but Brussels sprouts, I don't think she's ever cooked Brussels sprouts, but um, I've had had some good Brussels sprouts and not so good Brussels sprouts. My... uh, my 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 brother in law actually, or my brother, not my brother in law, my brother <laughs> cooked some great Brussels sprouts. So okay, well maybe next time we're in town, if he's in town, he needs to <laughs> there you go make some to see if he can convert me. Into that's what a- he would yeah. needs to do when he's in town. Make yeah. us some food. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. Next time we're all in Atlanta together. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Well, yeah, you can. And if he makes them wrong and stinks up the house, you know, I asked for it. We just say you told you so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but you know what? I think that it's time to hop into our topic. We've, <laughs> Probably. We've been talking a lot. Alex, are we do you hopping into give... our topic or are we grazing into our topic? Oh, look at that. Yeah. Now that is some classic monsters versus men <laughs> transition right there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Don't expect that, people. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. Alex, do you want to give a quick summary of what this documentary is about for anybody who might not have seen it? We are going to post something before this episode comes out just so that everybody knows and can watch if you want to, but give... But we gave you a good four days notice. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. If, yeah. You, uh, if you haven't watched already, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> All right. So I'm going to go ahead and read the Netflix description of what the film is. Okay. And then we'll all get into what this movie really is. Okay. okay. <laughs> it says... Learn how factory farming is decimating the planet's natural resources and why this crisis has been largely ignored by major environmental groups. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that some of those questions have not been answered in this movie. Um, <laughs> but, all right, so this is the conspiracy is the idea that, you know, major corporations and special interest groups are ignoring the main factor in environmental destruction And kind of focusing on what's actually maybe comparably considered small potatoes when we have a much bigger issue. And that issue is factory farming and how it's like the the description actually says decimating the planet's natural resources. So that's what Cowspiracy is. If you chose not to watch it, it's okay. But um, that's, that's what it is. So... I guess, really, the first thing I kind of want to go into with you all is, you know, just kind of the quality of the film. The, the style and presentation, I guess, is the best way to go with it. Nice. You know, this is, this, it feels like it, for me, it feels like it's shot by, like, a one-man team. It's yes. not. But, it's, well, it's got two two directors. Right. Kip Anderson, which I like the name Kip, by the way. No, that's mm-hmm. a good name. And then Keegan Kun, I think is how you say his last name. Kuhn? Yeah, yeah who cares? It... <laughs> they both directed it together so it was kind of like a two-man team they were funded by a whole bunch of people including the uh, famous leonardo dicaprio who helps put this documentary out there so and kip is the main protagonist in this documentary yes Mm -hmm. he is the one who is like 
he he says at the very beginning he watched Al Gore's An Inconvenient Truth, which I'm not even going to go into that. <laughs> which is a documentary that's been windmill dunked, and also uh, the apocalypse would have happened quite a while ago if that documentary was correct. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but but he says he saw that when he was younger, and it led him onto a lifestyle path that was going to be more sustainable. Which I like. I I am fully behind like. Anything you can do to try to help the environment, if you've got, you know, got the willpower and you can do it, then that's great. But I think it's excellent for him. But also, he kind of goes off into this agricultural realm that is just... Yeah. He, he tries to chase... He tries... In the film, he tries to chase something bigger, right? He, yeah. fi- he feels that turning off the water while brushing his teeth isn't enough. And so he chases something bigger mm. yeah um and to have a bigger impact on the world mm-hmm. and you know it's it's a it's, it's nicely filmed for the most part yeah we get some very cinematic emotional shots that are <laughs> so staged just ridiculous um and then we also get well maybe we'll get into some of that other stuff in a little bit but we also have maybe one of the worst protagonists i've ever seen in a documentary or maybe not protagonists, but narrators. Mm. It's Kip's it, narration. It's very dry. It's very monotone. It's not the most interesting thing in the world. The thing that, well, you go on, go talk about your narration, and then well, I'll the, talk the, about the cinematography. I mean, I, and Eric, I want to hear from you what you mm. think about the narration and you know this other thing that we're talking about. But the narration for me, you know, this film is super motivated. And what it's wanting to message. And it's got a mission. But it's weird when he talks. He doesn't sell me on the mission really. And it feels like he's just kind of reading like a a stereotypical script. script, Yeah. For like what he's supposed to say. And it's just, it's very ham fisted. And it doesn't really feel like it has a lot of meaning, even though he wants it to. What about you? What do you think? What are you thinking about this thing, Eric? Oh, well, I want to hear uh, what Cece was was wanting to say about the cinematography. And then I wanted to get into kind of the interview style that he employs. Um, I I was curious about the the cinematography that you were going to say. Well, the cinematography, really, when it comes to it, it's during the interviews. Mm. Seeing the way that he has put his camera before I fell into the career field that I work in now I wanted to work in film so my father went to NYU for cinematography so growing up he always pointed out you know look at the way the camera angle is look at all of these you know the colors that they're using the gels that they're putting on the lights and I found a really great critique of the movie I need to to look up the who wrote it I'll say before the end of the episode but they point out these same things that I was thinking throughout the entire film and that is when they're filming these interviews they, the way that they put the camera really can have a profound effect upon the way that you interpret and mm-hmm. listen to the way that the people are being interviewed are, you know, talking. Mm-hmm. The way that they cut away the camera at certain points, almost mm-hmm. like in some cases it's mid-sentence, which is very can be very deceiving because you can really edit anybody to say anything at all if you cut them off oh, in the yeah. middle mm-hmm. of a sentence and then add it to, you know, another line. So that was one thing that kind of caught me off guard is like, I'm watching this and I'm seeing these cuts and I'm thinking, 
is this, you know, is this really what the person said or is this something else? But also the way that they've filmed talking to people who they trust. So I know that one of the people they talk to, I think is, his name is Richard Openlander, I think is his yes. name. Yeah. <laughs> if you notice, the camera is level, eye level with him, mm-hmm. which, you know, you are your eye to eye. That's more trustworthy than if you are looking down on somebody. And they also use warm tones, which mm-hmm. warm tones convey a warmer, you know, more yeah. trusting presence. Uh, presence. Yes. And then when they're interviewing people that they kind of... Like Donega Markegaard, who was the... She was the one that um, had the the sustainability farm. Yeah. And that was the one with the most cuts. Yeah. it was. It, well, it was a lot. And it was also, like you were saying... In terms of the warmth, it didn't really. No, it was more blue. That. It was more blue, yeah. mm-hmm. um, which portrays more sad emotions and just like you know, fearful. Um, also, they did the same thing. If you have a blue plate, it makes you less hungry. <laughs> <laughs> well, they did the same thing with two people. It was an interview with two guys from the water water company, California Water Company. It was the government. That's who we yeah, referred to as the government. <laughs> yes. <laughs> The government. He's like, we're going to have to take this thing to the government. It goes to these well, two lowly what? government workers at the water department. It's like a Parks and Rec episode there it, right it at was, the beginning. It, it really exactly. was. But the way that they pan the camera, like, instead of cutting at certain points, they pan the camera from one person to one person. They both look completely caught off guard by the questions that are coming to oh, them. Oh, yeah. And it's just so like, you know, it makes you think, oh, these guys don't know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. But in reality, this kind of leads more into the interview style yeah. uh, that you wanted to talk about, Eric. Well, I so. like everything that you just said there, Cece. It, t- to me, backing up for just a second, you know, when, whenever I'm watching a documentary, I want to experience something or see something in a way that I haven't seen it before. Um, so that I can have a more nuanced view about a subject by the end of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. there are some fantastic documentaries out there that can absolutely do that. Um, I don't think this is that. <laughs> uh, just, to, just to say it right off the bat, I, I don't want to be too critical up front, but I don't think this is that, unfortunately. And, and you're right on the money. And I think the interview styles in particular showcase kind of this one-sided mission that this Kip Anderson, the director and narrator, is on. Um, Not that I'm even against his mission, but it's just a poor way of forming a documentary that is nuanced or compelling or convincing. And so you're, you're right. You mentioned this interview style that he has and just some of the ways that the camera interacts and the way that he frames his interviewees. Another thing that you'll notice is lots of times when he wants to be associated with somebody, he likes what they're saying. Well, then he's filming. He's actually in the frame with that person. Um, Yep. Many times he is in the frame with the person if he feels comfortable with them and he wants to kind of show that he's like agreeing with them and relates to what they're saying. And that also creates that tone, right, uh, that you mentioned. Another thing about the cuts that you mentioned were this one I just thought was kind of it was a little bit cruel and dehumanizing, which I wouldn't want to see in a documentary either. I want a documentary to humanize um, because that's when we're going to get that nuanced view. But it's when he's talking. I I wish I I should have uh, remembered her name or wrote it down. But he's talking to 
um, somebody that is she's she's a lobbyist or she works for one of the lobbying groups. Oh, that, yeah, she's the CEO for Agricultural Alliance, something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like GMO. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and she's a little overweight, right? And he doesn't do this in other interviews, but most of the interview is like of her face. And then it cuts to like, she, she mentioned something about her eating habits. Uh, and then it cuts to a full body of her. And at that moment, you're like, what's the, what's the purpose of changing this shot? Right. It's, it's very kind of subtly manipulative. Yep. It's, it's spinning this narrative again. Um, and, and kind of shaming, I think, uh, in a very subtle way uh, in that moment. So there's things like that that I didn't like, but also just basic interview questions. Basic interview yeah. questions was, was, was uh, something that I was like, why, why do you keep asking about these numbers that nobody else is familiar with? So we talked yes. about how he interviews the government. <laughs> he starts bringing up mm-hmm. these numbers that these, these water department officials have no idea, right? That it really isn't their job. Um, and so mm-hmm. he's making them look stupid for what reason? To who, like for, for whose expense, you know, like and yeah. it feels bad. I feel bad for them, honestly, That's, because yeah. you're just confronting them with numbers that they know nothing about. It was finally <clears throat> Ann Notroff, I believe her name is, who finally said, I'm not familiar with these numbers, so I really can't speak to that. Yeah, right. finally. Yeah. I'm like, thank you. Somebody just yeah. called him out on it because that's a terrible way to interview someone. While oh, but someone's on his side, he's like, hey, so is eating vegan really unhealthy? It's just a softball question, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Versus <laughs> because he's asking a vegan doctor. Exactly. Who's so gonna, he already knows the answer. Yeah, exactly. It's softball questions versus these questions that most of these people cannot answer. And that's a tough way to conduct an interview. Well, the thing the thing that got me about like interviewing those government officials was that they are California government officials, and the way that he asked the question was more so like overall, like within the world, what are these numbers? Yeah. And it just it, you know somebody who works in California is not going to be able to answer overall worldwide what what these numbers are supposed to be. That's a, yeah, it's under the purview. I mean, and that kind of you're you're kind of bringing up what I was wanting to talk about next, which was credibility. Mm. Yeah. And we see that with a lot of these questions that even the person that does have pushback, the film leans into that pushback being almost a secretive thing. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, no, you can't say that because it's part of the conspiracy. Because right around the time that she says this, we talk about something that actually does have credibility. It's one of the few things in the film that is actually true. And that's the killings in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the killing of the nun actually happened. And it was done very similar to what he was saying. And then there are a lot of indigenous and indigenous activists that are murdered by uh, farming by uh, the woodworkers, yeah. not yeah. woodworkers, loggers, loggers, the loggers, yeah. loggers, and stuff. So that, that's that's something that actually happens, and it's a really great point, and it's something that should should be highlighted. Yeah, but it's used almost in a you know Eric kind of used this word earlier, almost a dehumanizing way because we don't really care about that 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 that's tapped on. And we use that as emphasis for this greater devilish conspiracy that he hints at, like, maybe his life is possibly in danger. He might be in danger of being sued, right? Um, And he really uses it. That's the bad part, that he centers himself again, right? You bring up these real-life martyrs, and then you center yourself within that narrative. 
it, it's just <laughs> not very cool. <laughs> I, I mean, he literally has hilarious B-roll of him sitting on the beach contemplating this, uh-huh. that he might get, get rid of his camera. And then he's like, I can't do it. I have to do this. You have to live for something. He like, mutters off some quotes. It's just like hilarious. Like This man thinks he's a superhero. He even stages a shot. I know you all both saw this and probably laughed to yourself. Oh, yeah. He stages a shot where everyone walking is walking. Forward. They're, no, they're all walking backwards. They're all walking in reverse. And he is somehow okay. the only one walking, walking forward. forward. Because he stages a shot of him walking backward. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed that. It's so ridiculous and really speaks volumes about, I think, it kind of encapsulates this this film well it made it feel more cartoonish in my opinion i'm just like what is this this is ridiculous and granted like yeah you need b-roll when you're filming a documentary that is a very important part of filming your documentary but it just made it feel like it was more about him and his personal mission versus hey you know we've got some sustainability issues in the Mm -hmm. world let's talk about those and how we can resolve those and then just the overinflated and very misleading numbers that are used because yeah one of the biggest points of this is that he claims that 51 percent of greenhouse greenhouse um, emissions are from animal agriculture which he quietly uh, on twitter back (laughs) later to 18 percent and which was actually a lie because it's actually fourteen and a half percent. There are so many different, numbers and these out numbers there. were released before his documentary came out. So, <laughs> but it doesn't sound as good. Another thing, statistically, and this is something that I was just watching and thinking that doesn't seem right. You know, when it shows that statistic where it's got like these are the greenhouse emissions, and then these are the animal agriculture emissions, and it shows that little slope upwards of the exponential growth. Mm-hmm. From 20, uh, I think it goes 2040 to, it goes to 2040 with the greenhouse emissions and 2050 with the animal agriculture. Number one, you can't, like the disparity between those two sets of years is very, like you're going to have very drastic, drastically different numbers when it comes to those things. Mm. So you've got to kind of, when you're, when you're doing a documentary and you've got these statistics that you're going to throw out there there has to be a baseline for you know what you're doing if that makes any sense it does so it my in my time when i'm not podcasting with alex i'm a teacher um (laughs) yes (laughs) in my free time i'm a teacher and i teach a class called ap seminar and ap seminar is all about researching and creating arguments and then ultimately creating presentations. Like they, they ultimately give TED Talks, right? Um, and so they actually form these mini versions of essentially what he's doing in this film, which is creating an argument. But there's so many things that my students do better <laughs> than he does in a professional <laughs> Netflix film because they understand the nature of credibility, Whenever he throws out all of these numbers, but he doesn't list the sources for his numbers. And I looked a couple of them up, like on a couple of the graphs he um, threw out there. There were a couple names. I tried to find them and locate them. I couldn't. Um, but he throws out so many numbers that it becomes overwhelming. What I tell my students yes. and what my students start to do well is they actually take more in-depth look 
looks at the numbers. And so they examine who, who, where are these numbers coming from? Um, what is the journal that this is coming from? Who are the authors? What's their <laughs> credibility like? What's the statistic saying? How did they get the statistic? Um, is it compared to other statistics? Have there been other studies done, right? And diving deep into something specific instead of spattering information everywhere and hoping that something sticks, whether it's yes. true or not. Yeah. That, that's And you speak to something, Eric. There's a wonderful thread uh, on Quora, actually, by Karen Lindquist. She's a, she's a forage beef specialist. Uh, she's got a degree in agriculture, uh, animal science major. She, she's got... She's, she knows what she's talking she about. She knows what she's talking about. She has this amazingly written thread, sources, sends you all these different links about all these different things. And one of the things she points out regarding your numbers and stuff, and I, I actually looked him up before I did this, so I verified it as well. But one person we see throughout this documentary, he's the number one person interviewed, Richard Openlander. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, sorry, Dr. Richard Openlander. That doctor is important because it gives him credibility. Mm-hmm. What's he a doctor in? He's a dentist. <laughs> he, he he has zero background in environmental research. He, he doesn't have any sort of degree or anything. He did write a book called Comfortably Unaware. It was endorsed by Ellen DeGeneres, Alex. Did you yeah. know that? Well, And also, almost all of his statistics and all of his numbers are yeah. pulled from that book. Hmm. <gasps> So, so there you go. Someone who does not have a background in any of this, which, which doesn't mean you can't have some sort of credibility. Right, right. Yeah. But someone that doesn't have a background in this is the main resource. And their title as doctor will just be, I mean, there's, I have nothing against Dennis, but when you're doing <laughs> something like this, <laughs> that you requires experts and your lead expert as the title doctor, maybe we should know that it's a dentist. A dentist. Yeah. I had no idea until you mentioned that after you found that out, Alex. And, and almost every person, not all of them, but most of the people he interviews, they have nebulous jobs or they have just general positions at certain places, but most of them have no background mm. in anything that they're talking about. Mm. And I just... It blew my mind, the plot twist at the end, that every single person he talked to was a vegan. What? So this is the <laughs> issue, Alex, right? To go back to the, the point where he centers himself in this narrative, uh, there's a choice in that. And sometimes that choice can work where where the narrator is the center of this narrative and the narrator actually learns something through the process of creating the documentary. I think we've mm-hmm. all seen documentaries that, that can work like that. Oh, yeah. yeah. The problem here is that you can't tell me that Kip Anderson wasn't vegan before he started making this documentary, even though he tries to present it that way. He tries to present it. I just decided that I couldn't eat meat. No, you never (laughs) ate meat. Let's be like you did at some point, but you were eating meat before you made this documentary. There's absolutely no way that you weren't because your first (laughs) conclusion at the very beginning is we shouldn't be eating meat. Yes. <laughs> and then we finally do get there. Now it's okay. Like it's okay to have that bias going in, honestly. But I just don't want you to spin this narrative. Um I it's it's blatantly problematic when you're spinning a narrative that's just not true because it's already your position. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And one of the one of the most baffling omissions uh that I think he 
I think it might actually may have been an oversight is when he has, uh, what was his name? Howard Lyman, I think it was him. He mm-hmm. was the one that was on the Oprah show. Mm-hmm. Why did we never find out what he actually said on the Oprah show? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we never, never. Heard, we never heard his words. And how did this guy who went from mass producing cattle and like probably the worst conditions? Well, I mean, they are the worst conditions. So, you know, there's crammed out of building and all that stuff. How did a guy go from that to the other extreme? Yeah. And being a vegan. Yeah. Uh, uh, throwing my hands up on this one. I don't know. Well, I think there's some interesting things here, though, right? To 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 make it more personal. I, th- I think there are some interesting ideas in the movie about kind of how we create narratives to kind of justify our own actions. There are a couple of the sources that kind of bring up mm-hmm. this, right? Um, so much of what we construct are stories, right? We, we make up a position and then we build the story after the fact. We don't realize we're mm-hmm. doing this, but we build the story after the fact to justify our position. This is just, mm-hmm. we see this in documentary form. <laughs> it's kind of a firsthand look <laughs> at that exact phenomenon. Right. Yeah. Um, that's what we do. Now, I I do eat meat. Right. I I'm not going to justify it though, honestly, because I'm I'm not sure if it's wrong all the time. But I definitely think it's something that we should consider. It's an ethical question that you should weigh. Um, yeah. My wife and I, we don't eat meat uh, as much as we used to. Like we we do the thing that was kind of poo pooed. We at least do one day a week where we don't eat meat. Right. Yeah. Usually it's Friday. Um, but since we did that, we actually started eating less and less meat because we found alternatives that we liked. We actually, we don't cook burgers anymore. For example, we usually do like the beyond burgers, um, which are actually pretty good when possible. We also like to know where our food comes from. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't feel ethically high and mighty about my position because I do think there is some merit in a vegan diet. Like there, there's something good there. I think it comes from a good place most of the time. Um, but I do think, and, and this then is why are vegans to, the most insufferable people you ever met? They, they can be right. They can <laughs> absolutely. Right. Uh, they, they can be. Um, but I, I, I think there's something, I think there's something here about, you know, where we don't, we don't know where all of our food is coming from. And I don't think yep. that's Ooh. quite natural. We can eat whatever we want anytime we want with supermarkets and fast foods and international global markets. But with that, we lose a sense of our interconnectedness, right? Our connection yep. to the land, to the farmers that cultivate the land. Mm-hmm. We lose yeah. all of that. And that's not focused on as much as uh, <laughs> the other extreme sorts of examples that yeah you're right lots of vegans like to make which can be counterproductive yeah i think like i agree with you for for the most part eric because i think that over the years we have lost our sense of where our food comes from and this documentary does do that well it does remind you like hey whenever you're gonna eat cow or dairy this is where it's probably coming from because the FDA really does not let people know where their food is coming from. It is very kind of like top secret hush hush. Let's not talk about all these growth hormones and all of these things that are going into our food Mm -hmm. and just eat it and just be happy. And so I do think that that shining the light on that is important. And I think it's something that more people should probably think about, but 
we're just not really given an opportunity in this day and age, unfortunately. And this is something that James has actually talked about on our Patreon before, just how, uh, you know, I, I asked him a question. I said, how do cities become cities? And it's in one of our segments, James explains it all. And he just kind of goes off and just talks about everything on the topic that he, you know, wants to talk about. And in that particular instance, he talked about how all of these old cities in the world have, you know, they're more interconnected, like the the farmland and the city are all so close together that you usually know where your food is coming Mm -hmm. from. You can drive out there and, and get it. You can't really do that when you live in the suburbs because the farm, everything, the city is so far spread apart. And I think part of it is to kind of keep everything at arm's distance, mm. or I guess just beyond arm's distance. But I've got a lot of coworkers who work in Ireland, and they're always shocked when they hear about just the way that the food works here in America because it's so different. Yeah. So. I'd be intrigued to hear from any of our international listeners as to whether or not, you know, you feel this way about your food consumption and where it's coming from. Just because in America, you go to the supermarket and it's just rows upon rows of meat. But how is it, you know, in other places around the world? Mm. Yeah, I think that's kind of what you were getting at, though, is one of the things that frustrates me ultimately about this documentary. It's not the position that he takes it's again how he takes that position and how he goes to extremes instead of examining the nuances again yeah. like in my classes <laughs> uh, i try to teach my students in your arguments you want to add some nuance adding nuance doesn't take away it does it's not like conceding your points what's actually doing is it showing that you have been considerate of all angles it shows that you've done your research um, and that you can look at things from all sorts of lenses, right? Uh, mm-hmm. The reason at the very beginning, he, he's scratching his head at why none of these environmental organizations are so strong anti-meat. Well, it's because they're, they, they actually have a more nuanced position than he does. Uh, <laughs> it would be counterproductive for these, or it's not a secret. It would just be counterproductive for these organizations to come out and say they're explicitly anti-meat and attempt to do widespread legislation, for example, about limiting meat. We saw how that sort of legislation worked with banning large sugary drink sizes in New York City, right? It didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's a transitional game. Like if you want to make progress in this area, it, it's not going to be quick changes. You're going to make people more upset. You're going to be more unbearable, which I'm sure Alex felt a lot in this film. You can't change <laughs> society overnight. That's fundamentally meat eating. Yeah, no, it's true. And a lot of research suggests that humans really kind of became humans. Like uh, our, our ancestors, our brain started to grow when we started eating meat and I think that like if you can if you can be a vegan by all means do it but I would I don't know I would have trouble doing it just because I don't know I don't know if I could do it It's tough <laughs> It's it's hard it's hard and I have several friends who are vegan or have been vegan and some of them have been encouraged by their doctors to eat meat like I had a family member who was having trouble conceiving and then once she started eating meat no problem at all mm-hmm. so they think it might have been a caloric deficiency 
when it came to that. So it's like there's there's so many different. Well, but didn't you hear the doctor? He said, "Yeah, he said that he knows lots of people." <laughs> that means every time it works every time. Yeah, yeah, that's. <laughs> I think that there's so many different factors that go into it, and and to diet, like you really got to figure out what's best for you and what works best for yeah. you. We yeah. probably. Yeah. I don't think it's a stretch to say we probably eat too much meat, right? Yes. That's probably agree. true. Yeah. It's probably true. <laughs> we probably eat too much meat. Um, but yeah, like at the same time, we eat meat for a reason, right? It's not this random thing uh, that came out of nowhere. We do, there, we have biological reasons uh, that we need that protein. And it is difficult to get in other places. So, I'm not going to judge anybody for for that sort of decision that they're going to make. Yeah, no yeah. judgment here. Eat what you need. Yeah, but the, unless the, it's human, don't eat human. No, if you need to, <laughs> you just turn into a Wendigo afterwards. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, and, and I think that that kind of leads me into maybe one of the good things of the film is kind of like what you all were saying, you know the consciousness of where your food comes from. The duck scene is intense. It's hard to watch. It has an intention. The intention is to make you go vegan, but also it's important uh, to understand that, you know, when you do eat it's, it is something like you were saying, Eric, to, to consider Mm -hmm. and to, you know, be, be thankful for, you know, we, we eat a lot of food and we don't really care about it. it came from. So just to appreciate where, you know, some of that stuff might make you a maybe eat less meat. Like, and I do agree, we should probably eat less. But also, uh, it's just good to be thankful for things. Makes yeah. you a better person. Yeah, knowing where something's from, right? Knowing yes. the hands that feed you is usually going to make you more grateful and a better person overall. Yeah, yeah. Well, I asked James what he thought. He granted he has not seen this documentary before. But I, you know, him being a cattle farmer, I was just curious to know whether or not he thinks that we need to do away with animal agriculture 100%. And <laughs> Which is said, a preposterous argument for this is, film to make. It is ridiculous. He said, no, not at all. But he does think that the animal agriculture industry does need some serious reform. Mm. So after seeing the the documentary, I agree with that. I think that there is a lot that needs to happen when it comes to just the way that it's run and not knowing where your food's coming from or the conditions that these animals are are subjected mm. to prior to their untimely deaths Yeah, um, to feed us. So I don't know. I'd be intrigued. I'm sure that's something we'll talk about on a Patreon episode in the future, just James's, James's take. That would be interesting. Yeah that, yeah, that would definitely be interesting. I did love the, uh, you know, the grass-fed farm and the family that live there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was a great example of, and the farmer even says, you know, lots of people just need to see what we're doing here, right? They need to see the cows. Um, yes. That was awesome. I, I was I was really down with what they were doing. I thought that was really cool. Um, oh, but Eric, yeah. on that topic, before we move on real yeah. quick. Um, that farmer, Danica, I listened to a, just a bit of a podcast that she was on, mm-hmm. uh, where she talks about how she was completely misrepresented. Oh yeah. She, she was pretty nice about it. Actually, I would have been way madder, but the, the podcast was called, uh, rewild yourself, regenerative mm-hmm. agriculture and the truth about con- cow spiracy. Okay. And she made an appearance on it and talked about how, 
you know, when they first came on, they seemed to be like, you know, documentary filmmakers, two guys taking all these like shots with all them way while they give them this nice tour. Because you see some of the cinematography and stuff like that. It's kind of nice and pleasing when they're there. Mm-hmm. It's also all in a blue lens um, or blue filter. But um, when you see the interview, you it is the only interview that has as many cuts as it does Mm. now the clever way that this film hides its cuts and we kind of hit on this earlier is zooms you'll see the footage zoom in Mm -hmm. and most people will think oh it's just a zoom we're used to seeing that on television shows we're already primed to not think that something was removed Mm -hmm. and sure enough that's what's happened to her they've completely changed what her and her husband were saying and you see them confused in the interview. She says that's because they were confused about how little these two guys knew about anything. Mm. Yeah. They didn't know uh, what a watershed was. Mm. And they were like, oh, this is kind of weird. Like, they, you know, they're wanting to talk about this, but they don't even know what a watershed is. Yeah. And, and she said, like, they were just really confused by what was happening because these guys clearly didn't know anything. And so they had to cut the interview short. Which is why you see them act so like off put because they're genuinely wondering like what is happening with these people. Yeah. Yeah, that whole interview made me really uncomfortable just because it's like that's sustainable farming and you know, mm-hmm. allowing cows to graze naturally just seems so much more ethical when you're getting your, your food and then they're basically bashing it. Yeah. So it was <laughs> They were like difficult. questioning how much space. It was really weird because they were questioning the space that the cows received, you know? Yeah. So it was, it was all kind of counterintuitive and it didn't flow very well. But I, I liked them. I thought they were actually came off well despite <laughs> yeah. the interview. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. They were like happy to give it, and they just said it just kept getting weirder as they seemed to know, as the interviewers knew less and less. They're like, what is happening with these people? Yeah. Well, this is this is kind of off subject, but before we get to our awards, which is a staple of the Monsters versus Men yes. podcast, I did just want to say I asked my dear friend Caitlin, who was actually on last week's episode where we talked about political conspiracies. She used to be a vegan, and I asked her just what her thoughts were, pros and cons. And she says that um, the only real cons were missing out on food, which seems like a big con con to me. But (laughs) she says that missing out on food and then needing money and time to cook, which I think is probably one of the biggest hurdles a lot of people run into if Mm -hmm. they do want to go vegan. Or just have a healthy lifestyle. Yeah. It's it's kind of expensive, but maybe not as expensive as eating out. It's not as expensive as a lot of people think it is. Um, Getting, you know, living off vegetables and and items that are not necessarily animal created, Mm -hmm. but you've got to, because if you do go to a vegan restaurant, you're going to pay out the wazoo versus making it at home. A lot of people don't have time to, to prepare food at home. So I think that that's probably, in my opinion, a big hurdle for a lot of people when it comes to going. That's our biggest hurdle probably right now is to be having time to even cook. Yeah, and then you buy a whole bunch of produce, and you're like, I'm going to make so many great foods with this. <laughs> and then a week passes, and you go, and you're like, oh, no, all of it's rotted. Yeah. And then I just wasted a whole bunch of money. Exactly. That's That's the worst part for us, because we've tried to eat more vegetables multiple times. And we do. We eat more vegetables now than we have in the past, but also at the same time. It's hard finding time, Eric, especially mm. when you've got little kids. You've got three. Yeah. I'm sure that you know how it goes. It's 
near impossible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When we can. When we can. No. Is there anything else you all want to talk about before we get to our awards? I, I have one positive, one more positive, I will say, that I just thought okay. I just thought of uh, that was kind of eye-opening. And it is something to consider and think about. The amount of food that these cow farms take, right? The amount of feed that it takes to, to raise these cows, how mm. much they ate and drank was insane. Absolutely insane. Um, you could feed the world over. And I think that's an interesting point. You know, like you could yeah. literally feed the world with the amount of food that we're feeding cows. Um, but we keep feeding cows because that's the demand, right? And mm. In first world countries, especially, you know, yeah, so that's those are numbers I want to. I would like to look into more. I didn't actually get, didn't even think to look into those. Yeah, but I, um, I did but, think like that. If those numbers were true, that's that's definitely an interesting argument um, and one that I I would like to see explored further. Yeah, you you could probably say that if we didn't waste our food just in general, you know. Oh yeah. However much food is wasted in America, I'm not talking about like the the stuff left on people's plate. I'm talking about like the packages of meat that get thrown out at Kroger and that type of stuff. If you're completely efficient with a lot of that stuff, Mm -hmm. you could solve a lot of the issue. But unfortunately it seems like we're pretty inefficient because, well, there's just not a solution that someone's created yet for that type of thing. Well, should we move into our awards, Alex? Let's do it. (laughs) This this feels like I, I felt like I needed to do the transition since I do in our show. Yeah. (laughs) First up, coolest character award. Alex, who you got? Uh, I got to give it to Openlander. You know, he he really sold me as a possible expert. Well, it turns out he's just a dentist. (laughs) Good job, Openlander. He was just quite the character. I mean, he's clearly playing a version of himself that maybe he wants to or dreams to be. Good for mm-hmm. him. <laughs> what about what about you, Cece? Oh man, this is this is a hard one for me. I think honestly, the my favorite character is probably Michael Pollan, who wrote the Omnivore's Dilemma. Mm-hmm. So I remember reading that in college and really being kind of struck by it. Mm. I need to reread it because I haven't read it in a long time, but I liked seeing him. Mm. Oh, the, he's hardly in this at all. He's, so he's hardly in he it He clearly didn't say enough that this guy liked. No, he... <laughs> yeah, no, I just... I, I was familiar with him, so I was like, mm, that guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what about you, Eric? Uh, you mentioned her earlier, Alex, but Sister Dorothy Stang, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, who was actually a real proponent of change um, on the ground in the Amazon rainforest. I was I was mm-hmm. doing a little bit of research on her just to kind of get a bit more of her story. And it said that, I don't know how they know this, but when the hired guns came to shoot her, um, because which they were hired because of her speaking out against the loggers and yeah. uh, mm-hmm. this farmland being taken away from the locals where she was she was this missionary at. When when the hired guns came after her, she just pulled out her Bible and started reading the Beatitudes to them. Yep. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's pretty awesome. That's, that's pretty hardcore. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty yeah. hardcore. Um, yeah. yeah. So she's the coolest character I think we saw in this documentary. That's a solid answer. <laughs> I think that yours probably best out of all of us, Eric. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, she's, she's awesome. We talked about loggers in our 
Indigenous Tribes episode not too long ago. Yep. So, but I was unaware that that had happened to her. So, it was eye op- an- another eye opening area of the documentary for me. All right. Yeah. Eric. Yes. Ooh. What's your That's a Good Shot award? <sighs> My That's a Good Shot award goes to one of the many shots of the lonely man bun hipster at his computer <laughs> reading his email. <laughs> There's so many. There's so there many. were so many. Mine uh, was... They're so staged. Well, yeah, mine was when he was walking around in circles in the revolving door. Oh, yeah. And talking about how it feels like talking with these environmental groups is <laughs> just walking in circles. And I just thought to myself, that is the cheesiest thing I've ever seen. Like, oh you had gosh. to put up your tripod and film that, you just walking around in circles. <laughs> That's so awful. Mine had to be the most artistic of all the shots and the most time-consuming. Him walking backwards. Yes. But in reverse, he was walking forwards. And what's even more hilarious about it, it looks like he's almost waddling. It's instead of walking forward. It's a bit awkward. (laughs) It's a bit awkward. He looks like he's He's walking like me right now. Oh, yeah. Because I'm waddling (laughs) tremendously being eight months pregnant. Yeah. Those are some good shots, you guys. There were were some really pretty shots, though, especially when they're on that farm, Mm -hmm. the sustainable farm. I was like, that looks like paradise right there. But it's nice. It's nice. What about memorable line? Have any memorable lines that stood out? I I had trouble with the lines just because I found so much of it just like, uh, and it's not really a line, but whenever he started doing the math to himself, <laughs> that was when I always had trouble. That was when like my eyes, I was like Alex, my eyes would roll into the back of my head mm. when he'd start doing the numbers and be like, you know, him looking up at the sky and thinking about all the numbers. I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is. Yeah, you clearly already got it out of a book, sir. I can't. Stop. I can't continue with this. <laughs> And then at the very beginning, the just the opening interview where they're asking the the first guy, you know, well, what about animal agriculture? And the the interviewee is like, well, what about it? That was set off the yeah. whole yeah. premise of the the movie, and that was probably the most memorable thing in my opinion, mm-hmm. just how it started. I like this line by Howard Lyman that ended the movie: "Do what you can do." as well as you can do it every day of your life. And you'll end up dying one of the happiest individuals that ever lived. Oof. Nice. That's heavy. Nice. Unfortunately, that advice didn't really seem to apply to this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, what about you? Mine was uh, the vegan doctor who kept going on about baby calf growth fluid. Baby <laughs> calf yeah. growth fluid. <laughs> he said it so many times. Baby calf growth fluid. That's memorable line to me. <laughs> A.K.A. Milk. Well, wow. I. What about a unique award? Unique award? You want to come up with one? Oh, this is a hard one. This is a hard one. I'll go, and, I'll go and do one. Okay. Someone read about Persuasion Award. And I, this one's going to go to our boy Kit. <laughs> All right. This, this man uses list persuasion nonstop. Mm. And that you'll see many moments in this film where he will run off a bunch of different things to convince you that they're all true. And that's a, that's a pretty standard form of persuasion that people use because if this person has all this evidence, you don't question it as much as if they only threw one thing at you. Mm. So you'll see him lay, land like seven things in a row and you'll be like, 
oh wow, that's a lot. Like he must know what he's doing. But in, in actuality, it's all yes. Well, yeah, <laughs> unless you can see through that a little bit, right? And you understand that that art of rhetoric. Uh, so yeah, that's good. I, I do think we've probably been pretty hard on our, our boy Kip here. You think so? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I, I, I don't, honestly, I, I really don't question his motives. I don't think he's not, he's not a bad dude <laughs> yeah. right out to make some documentary that he doesn't believe in. I think he actually, mm-hmm. like he really believes in, in his mission, his mission and he believes in what he's doing. Um, I don't think it's as effective as it could be, of course, as we've already talked about. But I don't think he's a bad guy. Uh, I wish I he would have made some different choices. Um, I think he could have gone about some things a few different ways. But I'm okay with him. He, I know I made fun of your man bun and you're looking at email shots. But, Kip, I know you're listening. It's all right. Like, I'm with you, man. Like, let's let's talk. I, I agree. I think that he probably – he's got something he, – he wants – the world to be a more sustainable yeah. animal friendly place yeah. and he's or, going to do what he wants to do to get there but or he wanted to make a lot of money off this yeah uh, but i don't think he's making a lot of money off it like that's the thing i don't i honestly don't think he's gonna make a ton of money off of this he's made several <laughs> he's documentaries made more. since then and he also did seaspiracy and guess who guessed on seaspiracy richard openlander wow there you go. <laughs> Best friends. Well, I can't fault somebody for following their heart and trying to trying to make a change in the world. But yeah. I mean, there's a lot better like, way that like it could have been done. If you like making films, I mean, not a, not a bad way to go. <laughs> yeah, uh, for sure. My my unique award wasn't is not a funny one or anything like that. And you kind of already mentioned this person already, Cece. But it was the most reasonable interview, and it was mm-hmm. Michael Pollan. Um, yes. Who, yeah, did, has written several books. But I just thought, like, of all the, and this is one that Kip actually did have himself um, kind of in the frame with mm-hmm. Poland. And he just came off as the most intelligent guy in the film. Uh, because, he really did. Because of the nuance <laughs> that he brought. And, I mean, he was on Kip's side, actually, right? But he yeah. just brought a lot more nuance to the discussion. Um and really brought evidence that was examined to the discussion. So he was the most reasonable interview to me. I I enjoyed seeing him in this film. Yeah. One of the things that I appreciate about him is that in his, his book, the omnivore dilemma, he actually has a chapter where he goes out and hunts his own food to see like what it's like and what it actually takes. (laughs) That's amazing. And I remember, yeah, I remember reading that and just thinking, okay, this guy, like I can take him seriously because he's not just, (laughs) talking the talk he's talking the talk and walking the walk so yeah. i was excited to see him there my award is just the the cutest animal award there were lots of really cute animals gonna give right? it to i'm gonna give it to that chicken that kip rescued oh, yeah. and put in his car and took to the little animal sanctuary did, what did you give it a name um i didn't give it a name i don't know if they gave it a name but i know there was a chicken at that ranch named carol which i thought was just adorable Ooh. But yeah, I, I think that that chicken, like, I hope that chicken's doing okay. It's probably, you know, this is an old movie, so it's probably not around anymore. But still, that made me happy seeing it go to live its life mm. after it stopped making eggs on the farm. Yep. It probably hated it there and walked into a chicken factory. <laughs> Alex. <laughs> so anyways, yeah. Those are uh, my awards. All right. Wow. Well, 
This this has been a long episode, Eric. Our episodes are usually not this long, but oh, I feel man. like we've had a lot to chat about with this documentary. It's been a very interesting 13th floor monsters versus men mashup. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like it. Thanks, yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. As again, yeah, I'm no. only on here to promote um, my podcast, Monsters vs. Men. <laughs> but uh, if you ever need me to, to come back on the show, I, I can do so as long as you give me uh, a chance to plug my stuff. Oh, no, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Because Alex doesn't do enough plugging on uh, 13th Floor. I'm pretty bad about it. Yeah, he is. He's pretty awful at it. So, sure. Eric, if anybody wants to, to find you online, where can they find you? At MVM underscore pod. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's our podcast. That's yes. our podcast. Yeah. Uh, uh, Eric, did you ever post for the, the to for Monday's episode? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. That I, I will. I will. Anytime. <laughs> I can help. Yeah. So, Eric, thank you so much for for stepping in and helping us, especially during James's absence. He should be back next week, you guys. But it's been a, a very fun fun episode today yeah, yeah. even though that documentary had me rolling my eyes occasionally it's all right. i feel i feel like i've wa- i'm walking away from the documentary with a better understanding not necessarily the you know everything that i saw is accurate but yeah. i feel like i've actually learned from it upon doing my own <laughs> independent research <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah. yeah all right well alex who does our music? Our music is by Grant Cook. You can find it on Amazon Music, iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you listen to music. And Eric, I know you know the ending, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, you guys. So until next week, we hope that you can keep, keep it straight. Help me. I really wanted to say trying to stay alive. <laughs> <laughs>